Welcome back to Diamnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. My name is Celeste, uh, aka DMC Witch, and I'm joined here today by someone you might anticipate. I don't know. Well, surprise, <laughs> but not at all. Oh it, no. <laughs> I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we're going to tie back to episode number 180, D&D on the Rise, which featured none other than Greg Tito. Oh, Greg. Yes. And that led to the creation of Diamnastics number 149, Show Them the Ropes. I don't know. It's just a common term that people like showing ropes. Are you ropes. sad you couldn't make a pun? Is that what, no, yeah. <laughs> that's what that is? All right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, yeah. So in this one, basically, we proposed a bunch of scenarios to you all that uh, what happens when you have a new player and they're walking into any one of these new scenarios? You know, basically, what do you do to help them? Uh, tips and tricks. So we had a few different scenarios here. I'll blast through these real quick. Uh, so a first time a player enters their first combat, a player withdraws during social encounters, a player takes point in a social encounter for the first time, a player experiences their first character death, a player comes to their first puzzle, a player has a chance to detect their first trap, a player goes shopping for the first time, or a player meets their first cursed item. So those were all the scenarios we threw out here, and we had a series of questions uh, about how you might handle uh, this, this new experience. Uh, so the questions we threw out there, what could you do to prepare the player ahead of time? Two, how could you craft the scenario to help the new player? Three, how could you use another player to help? Uh, four, how could you use the aftermath to teach? And of course, number five, you do you. Yes. So I will go first. All right, do it. So I highlighted the one from Sparklefish, which, hello, Sparklefish. Oh, hello. That's a magical, magical forum name. Absolutely. And they chose to tackle a player withdraws during social encounters. And because of the nature of this prompt, not following the questions totally still works because it's more of like an exercise in thought of how would I do it? How would you do it? Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. So they thought about having the NPC engage directly. So if you see someone starting to step away and you're not sure why, you just have the NPC ask them a pointed question. It could be that the NPC is confused for some reason why they're not engaged. So they want their thoughts on the matter or they're uncomfortable that the person's not engaged. But basically, I don't want to say forcing the issue, but just directly involving them. Mm -hmm. But but the one that I liked even more was maybe it's a character choice. Maybe yeah. the person is stepping away because that's what their character would do rather than them as a person or player. So finding out if they're doing something outside of the social encounter. So are you preparing a spell? Are you looking around? Are you doing X, Y, and Z that isn't this direct interaction with other people? And I thought like, why would I, how had I never thought of that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, there are so many different ways to, you have to learn how to communicate in a lot of different ways when you're playing these tabletop games, you know, so speaking as a player and separating that from speaking as a character, uh, there's definitely a lot going on there. So I think it is super duper helpful, yeah, to, to set up these social encounters and have your players learn you know, how, how to communicate and how their character communicates and how that might change from game to game. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like it just really felt like that's so simple. It makes so much sense. Why, yeah. why do I not do that? <laughs> so don't yeah. reinvent the 
wheel. Just just have your NPCs ask your characters questions. Yeah, and then be like, oh, well, what else are you doing? Because they yeah, totally just, makes sense. I mean, thinking of when I'm in a social encounter and I'm not directly involved, what am I doing? I'm yeah. doing other things. I'm not just just idly just breathing in and out. Not fading invisibly <laughs> yeah. to the background. So yeah. it made perfect sense. So thank you, Sparklefish. Celeste, which one did you choose? Yes. So I wanted to highlight the post from DM Danielson. Thank you, DM Danielson, for always having great posts. Uh, okay. And they chose to tackle a player goes shopping for the first time. Uh, so I really liked um, their answer to what could you do to prepare the player ahead of time? Um, and basically, they talked about making shops really modular and easy to kind of bridge the gap between like role-playing video games and Dungeons and Dragons, which I thought was like a totally great idea. Um, Cause you know, it, there's always like that one location in video games that you can go and you know, you can get your magic potions there or, you know, they have the armory, you know, you can go there to buy like your swords, arms and armor and having that same consideration built into your D and D games, like, you know, trying to, you establish there's always this town that the players can go to and they can go and spend money and get what they need and just training them that like, that's how you interact with the world and having like a secure location that they can go back to. They can really start to plan what they have on their person, like be aware of their equipment. Um, so really just making it like easy and bridging the gap there. Um, I thought that was some super great advice. And then uh, DM Danielson goes on to say that in one of their games specifically, uh, oh, they also recommended giving these shops fun pun titles. Yeah. Yeah, to make the players like really excited <laughs> about going there each time. And they also brought up, you know, you can like totally make the shopkeepers can have quirky, fun personalities, uh, which really encourage your players to use uh, the equipment and purchase things. Yeah, so they, they told this story about setting up uh, a shop called Tome Improvement. Yeah. Which, oh my gosh. Uh, and it turns out that they, this was a store that players could go to to buy magic items. Uh, so they did, and great, and they were, you know, really reasonably priced. Uh, but it turns out that the items didn't actually do what they were advertised to do. Oh. So the characters would have to figure that out. You know, when they tried to use their wand of uh, magic missiles, uh, something else totally random would happen. Um so they were saying like that that was a great, you know, mini like quest encounter to be built in to like question things in the world and like just really engage and not take everything, you know, at surface level. So I thought I thought that was really great. Uh and then of course number 5 you do you um DM Danielson suggests a good getaway line is always nice. Mine was cheese it yeah. Uh, so I guess when you're leaving the shop or like pulling pulling a prank, um, these good lines. Oh yeah. Uh, so I just I really love this post, like because shopping is such a reoccurring theme uh, in RPG games. So figuring out how to make that fun, interesting, and engaging is definitely super important uh, for RPG games. Yeah, spicing it up so it's not just a transaction. And right. there are definitely times where it needs to be that, and that's fine. But the the idea behind the whole prompt is someone's first experience with shopping. Yeah. And if you... because So you're setting the stage for what shopping is to this player mm -hmm. inside of D&D. And, &D I mean, if you can try and not make it a pure transactional... Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I went to... I, I, I honestly started moving my hands like I was holding a controller. Yeah. Like, okay, I moved to the <laughs> yes. item screen and sold X, Y, and Z, and then I went back, and then I started playing. 
it, again, it totally can be that. And if that's what you need, but I think starting out that experience in a different way yeah. would make it more engaging. And then that would lead your players to be more engaging down the line. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Find that way to bridge like the form and function of like video game shopping, uh, but also with that D&D, that social flair, like the fun, the fun titles and the fun characters really make those experiences memorable, uh, which, of course, whenever you have new players, that's what you want to do, right? You want to set a positive experience for the different kinds of encounters you can have. So they're willing to you know go with you for new encounters or to revisit these same kind of encounters again. Yes. But that means it's time for us to lift the mental weights right now. Whoa. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Okay, let's look at this list here. So what do we have left? We, we haven't done a player enters their first combat. A player experiences their first character death. A player comes to their first puzzle. A player has a chance to detect a trap for the first time. Or the player meets their first cursed item. Okay. So that leaves six different things, and I rolled a six. <gasps> Whoa! All right, cursed item. Yep. Oh my gosh! Do you remember your first cursed item? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I do. Oh. I do. It was a goblet, and <gasps> oh. it was like the whole purpose of stealing, and like going into these caves with all these monsters was to steal this goblet. But then it was cursed, and I ended up putting it in a bag that was on a rope behind me so that like I didn't have to touch it or deal with it and then just started running away. So there was literally just like a, a bag with the cursed item in it, like 10, 20 feet behind me as we ran away from the monsters. Yeah, I, I don't. That's awesome. That's definitely one way to deal with it. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've actually ever had a character who got a cursed item. I've definitely given out cursed items. I think mm -hmm. the closest I came was when I was playing through Rise of Team at Harazon, Harazon, oh, okay, or something. Yeah, yeah. The big, the big great sword that basically is, you know, it has its personality. It's like you and I, we could do great things together if you murder, just mm -hmm. bathe me in blood, murder. So it was always talking to me, but it didn't actually make me. <laughs> have to do anything and so i had given one out recently and the funniest thing to me was that it the player so the sword was there and it was a sort of berserking and i didn't really know who was going to end up with it that's not really my issue well, until yeah. <laughs> someone does end up with it yeah and it was funny because they gave it to a companion oh no <laughs> so then the companion goes in to like do battle and then goes berserk and starts trying to kill everyone else oh so that was pretty magical for me. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I gave out one recently where it was uh, the Sword of the Lady of the Lake. And mm, basically, yep. if you ever use any other weapon beside that sword, um, you're attacking with disadvantage. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the sword like stakes a claim on whoever wields it. But anyway, how do we help players meet their first cursed item? Um, we cheat and use some of the stuff that Letter Lost wrote down. Um, I will steal a little bit because it, it is a great way to do it. It really is. Yeah. And basically you'd need to give some signs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It dep depending on what the curse is, you can give those signs. And if they don't catch on to them, then they don't. And that, that's fine because that's the purpose of the cursed item. That's the same way that we often suggest deadly traps is that mm -hmm. if you've given no hint that there is a trap and then you spring a death, like a save or die kind of thing, it it's not very fun. But yeah. if you have this person who's berserking, 
and trying to kill everyone. And it doesn't seem quite right why they're trying to attack certain people. Then maybe that's a sign. But if they don't take it and they just see the shiny sword and they really want to use it, well, that's fine too. Yeah. And I, I would definitely, as a follow-up to that too, I mean, start start small with your cursed items. Like even just something small and hilarious to introduce them to it. Like, you know, if you wear these set of gloves, like your hands turn green. Like when you wear them, something that's totally like innocent, but might have strange consequences because you got to ramp up to like oh yeah like big juju like cursed items here i would also suggest when you have a cursed item and it's the first encounter build a way to undo the curse also Mm. into the item and make it like you know they can figure it out via role or somebody like they've heard a legend or something um so y- your player doesn't feel like they're just being eternally punished for one decision they made, because um, that's not fun <laughs> for any new player or any player in general. And I think those small curses, if you will, are very memorable, yeah. um, because I usually make players roll on the trait table Ooh. from like the 3.5 Dungeon Master's Guide. Oh, cool. And so one character had sweaty... <laughs> And no no other person at that table doesn't remember that they were a sweaty half orc. Oh my god, yep. <laughs> and so like if you had like the like this item, but then it made the person permanently sweaty. Like everyone will remember that. Yep, yep. <laughs> so the interesting one was number three, how could you use another player to help? Yeah, so I think this might actually be where the um how to undo the curse comes in because you know if you can all work together to figure out like how you might combat this that would be a good way of bringing somebody else in to kind of ease the experience or allowing other players to recognize the curse and then like so going off of what you said and figuring out what the solution to the issue is the other players could roll arcana or history or something to figure out oh well we need we definitely need to do x y and z so that they don't still have this curse. Yeah, or maybe even like whoever has the curse doesn't really realize this is happening. So maybe you mm. give clues to the other party members about like something strange is going on with yeah. with your companion here. Yeah, that'd be that'd be super fun. Like like hey buddy, did you know there's like a cloud of flies just like around your head all the time? The player's like, "What do you What?" No, no. I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hmm? Yeah. Curse denial, definitely the best aspect. Oh, yeah, super fun. (laughs) How could you use the aftermath to teach? I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a lesson you only have to learn once, like picking up the shiny, obvious treasure maybe isn't always the best thing to do. Um, Because some people genuinely do not know that trope. Uh, So this is, I mean, this is always a hard lesson to learn. Yeah, because it could also be that if you invest that time, that effort then the item doesn't affect you. So it is still then a very valuable magical item, but Mm -hmm. because you didn't do the X, Y, and Z, because these magical items are created by all sorts of different people with different ideas, then now you're cursed. Mm -hmm. Now you're a very sweaty person. So sweaty. Eternally sweaty. Drink lots of water. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Are you ready to roll? Yes, do it. Five. Ah, a player has a chance to detect their first trap. Ooh, this is interesting. How how would you introduce that? I think in some ways it definitely depends on which character it is. Mm-hmm. Because 
I don't really play. I, on a personal level, don't often play the person that would detect it and not be hurt by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're big stompies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's okay. That that can be my first experience is stepping on a trap and getting the full brunt of it. And maybe it's that I do a really good con save or that I do this. I mean, I think for me, it's what do you think that player needs to learn from the first mm-hmm. trap? Because if it's the rogue and they're not doing again, going back to the cursed item, though, also, if there's no signs of the trap, that's, that's a tough way to have that first experience yeah. go down. Yeah, I would. I mean, almost almost the same advice as the cursed item. Yeah, you got to give those signs like I always love, you know, putting like skeletons around the entrance to like a dungeon or like beware or like making it very clear like hey you should hire someone to take you through the dungeon or like having dungeoneer like dungeoning experts in the world like as a profession that is known to people so if they're listening to the lore uh, of your world or you know you drop in these hints they'll know that this is something important and something they have to watch out for yeah and Again, definitely needs to be a sliding scale here. Yeah. Yes. Um, and some of the more typical ones would be a pit and you fall into a pit and yep. it's not fun and you get some amount of damage, but you get out and you're mostly you, just embarrassed. Yep. And you figure out how to get to the other side or that there's something down in there. Yeah. I mean, because the ever sliding scale of that kind of thing is that you have a uh, this is not nice. I apologize if, to any player that experiences this because the DM heard me say it. I've said it before. So you have a pit trap, but unbeknownst to you is that above is a second area and that opens and drops a gelatinous cube into the pit that the that person That is food. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, man. That's rough. Just perfect fit. Just slides yeah. out of the ceiling straight down, it. straight down into the pit and no. it, there you go. Oh, uh, R.I.P. Yep. <laughs> it's perfect. Uh, I, w- I would also say as a note, um, before you even get to this point in game, uh, if you have new players, tools can be really, really difficult to understand, especially in like fifth edition yeah. D&D. It's just they don't do a great job of explaining proficiencies and how those work. So if you do have a rogue in the party, make sure they understand what they can do. Uh, you know, with their thieves tools, with um, how investigation checks for traps work. Uh, just go over that in basic character creation, because um, I promise you people are just pretending they understand what's happening yeah. <laughs> for the first game. Uh, I've played I've played D&D for the edition a whole bunch and I'm still like, uh, what? I have to review those rules oh, yeah. uh, well, quite a bit. I think we were talking about it. I was so just taken aback that I effectively used tools for one of like the first times when i was at gen con i was like i used them and it was really beneficial it was amazing yeah yeah they're 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 a tough sell yeah um yeah so make sure that you know how that works um because it's not fun to catch somebody and go ha i got you if they literally didn't understand how they could have yeah how they could have changed the outcome yeah but but again got to figure out what they need to learn because the whole gelatinous cube thing could be teaching the idea of the third dimension. We've, we've <laughs> brought it up before and it's okay to bring it up again. A lot of D&D is viewed because you're looking at a battle map and that's what you're used to kind of in a two dimensional space. Mm. So the fact that something came from above just feels weird, revolutionary, and now absolutely terrifying. Yep. 
Yep, the world the world of horrors you yes. can encounter just opens up immensely. <laughs> what do you mean there's something above six feet? Uh what? <laughs> Wait, I can fall? Oh no. Oh, oh, oh no. Awesome. Okay. I rolled one more time. Okay. What'd you get? Uh four. Ah, uh, uh, player experiences their first character death. Ooh, that's a doozy. Well, this is a fun episode of DMnastics. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. Um, wow. Okay. Well, I yeah. Let let's just go for it. Um, character death is always rough. I feel horrible every time I've ever killed a character, and I think you need to keep in mind that everybody is gonna feel bad about a character death. Um, so. Give it space. Give it room. Uh, if you're if you're playing with new players, I would recommend not killing characters. It's sometimes it's okay if you're like on tier one. It's okay to have you know a secret health potion in the party. It's okay for somebody to swoop in and save a party last minute. Maybe consider instead of a TPK, everybody does go unconscious and they wake up, you know, bound in a cellar with none of their stuff. Like there, there are a hundred ways to, to not <laughs> just murder characters. Um, and especially for new players, I, I think you should consider those before really bringing home the character death issue. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think one of the worst case scenarios would be that no one's sad about it. And yeah. that like it, it isn't an impactful thing because it definitely needs to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not bad because it does establish that it is a world in which people can die and mm-hmm. things like that can happen. I do agree, though, like it's not great. And the you you mentioned a TPK, but in some ways a TPK is easier to oh, deal than with. Oh, just one character dying. Yeah, than yeah. one character dying because everyone can get swooped up. Another aspect that I've heard of the whole party gets a tpk but now they're in whatever version of the afterlife you want them to deal with because Mm -hmm. something's broken there so you basically started a different part of the same campaign yeah but when it's only one character it's a lot tougher because usually that character is just then gone the other way to approach it at times for me is that some some people don't like the character that they've created especially if it's their first character mm-hmm. um so being willing to have that conversation and possibly intentionally kill a character i mean thematically that's what i've done before someone just really wasn't working wasn't working out with their character so we killed them and it was really impactful for the group because they were a family member of a different character in the group so that was very impactful um yeah i would say i mean i've been playing D for over 10 years and i've probably only killed like maybe like eight or so characters in that time and the huge majority of those i had spoken to the player beforehand and they knew it was coming and it was going to be part of like a story mm-hmm. usually because the player had to like leave the campaign yeah. you know like somebody was moving away um, or they just had to step out and, you know, wanted to give a meaningful end to their character. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely not something to be thrown about lightly. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is to kind of go through the thought experiment or exercise, depending on what it is, because if it's a one shot and you end up killing them, you kind of need an out for that in mm-hmm. that you don't want them to then just sit there the whole time. 
especially or like at a convention game. So having an NPC that they could play or something like that, or if it is your long campaign and that happens, having the idea of not continuing the campaign or sorry, that session, I didn't mean cancel the whole thing. That's not what I meant. Canceled. Done. We're done. Um, one of you died. No, but the idea of not continuing that session again now, now that person is just sitting there without anything to do. Yeah. Ugh. But anyway, just tread carefully. That's- <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, on that fun note. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to get a hold of us and let us know about how you killed a character, definitely head over to Twitter where you can find us at DMnastics, all lowercase, all one word, where you can find my handle at Jotmaniac, Jack of all trades, master of none, IAC. And of course you can find Celeste at C Connorwich. Whoa, crazy. And if you are a silver dragon or higher on our Patreon, you can check out the first of our new series called flashback episodes, where a couple of us talk about an episode that happened in the yonder and just talk more about it. And this week, we will talk about episode 138, Sports and Games. But rather than let these mental gains go to waste, let's head over to Taking Your Supplements. Taking Your Supplements! Dear Celeste. Dear Neil. You have something to talk about. You're basic. I do. Yes, uh, it's basic. Uh, I figured with this episode, you know, we're talking about new players, new encounters, things of that sort. So I wanted to talk about Beyond the Basics, uh, which is a product that just launched on the DMs Guild. I think, well, yesterday when we were recording this, but yeah. uh, So essentially what this is, is a huge team of writers kind of spearheaded by Jeff Ellis um, as the editor and lead on this project got to and took all 76 monsters that are included in the basic rule set uh, for Dungeons and Dragons and then wrote an encounter for each and every one of those monsters. Uh, So the basic rules are basically the free version of the game that is available for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, So you don't have to spend any money to pick up the basic rules. You can download those from anywhere. Uh, And this product, Beyond the Basics, will give you a full-on encounter uh, that's meant to run about three hours uh designed around each of those monsters so like this is like pretty pretty wild how many awesome people are on it um i i contributed a few encounters in here um yeah so you can check out mine i did the adult red dragon uh, i did bugbear i did centaur uh and then i did dire wolf Uh, but there is just so much content in this book and with this amazing art cover by jen vaughn uh layout by ann gregerson logo by kayla klein like a just a ton of really cool contributors uh worked super hard on this project uh the book is absolutely beautiful um you can go ahead and pick it up uh over on the dms guild like i said it is 16.99 because there are over 200 pages uh worth of content this is this is a totally massive (laughs) volume but this is a really really great place to start if uh you know you're a new dm or you have new players who maybe haven't encountered these like very classic monsters before um these are just encounters that are ready to go they can be either standalone or incorporated into your longer campaigns um but highly recommend going and picking up beyond the basics you should do it yeah 237 pages it's 
massive. <laughs> There's so much content in there. Well, and like you said, the this is freely available content that it stems from. So any person that's stepping into D&D for the first time, mm-hmm. the basic rules are a g- great place for them to start to just be able to read something shorter than books on books on books that are about to break a shelf behind me. Yes. <laughs> Fifth edition's been around just long enough that it's about to break my bookshelf. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But with that, we'll turn out the lights and head out of the gym. Before we go, I want to implore you, the listeners, to join the forums and take part in these challenges and exercises, as well as other conversations being had. To do that, head over to DungeonMasterBlock.FreeForums.Net and try some gymnastics. So your players don't ask, do you even lift? Oh, I could barely lift my right arm, because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting, I did over a thousand. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you.